Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Keith Darrow podcast. I am honored today to welcome a very special friend, Nashley Brogan, who is a doctor of audiology up north in Canada. Nashley, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Keith. I, Nashley, I love your story. I know you you are a big member of our odd experts community. I know that you have been helping to really spread the good word throughout Canada and to really help push the envelope on hearing healthcare. But what I want to know, and what I know the listeners want to know is where does all of this passion and drive come from? Look, I've I've met a lot of people in hearing healthcare. Very few rise to your level of passion and determination, and I mean that wholeheartedly. But where does that come from? Um, well, it kind of starts with my story back when I was younger in my teens. Um, I was 14 when I was first diagnosed with a hearing loss. So I was a competitive dancer traveling across the country, played three musical instruments. And um, I started noticing I couldn't hear someone from the back seat of my car. Um, we had my hearing tested, and at that time, I was just identified with a very uh, high-frequency hearing loss, very little. It was 1992, um, could not be, or maybe 1990 at that point, could not fit me with hearing aids, obviously, because I think it was normal up to 4,000 hertz. And that was it. And we went on, and then when I, the um, ENT, who I saw at that time, told my parents I destroyed my ears listening to music, and away we went. When I was 18, I was complaining still. Um, I'd finished high school, so I went to a different audiologist who became my mentor and my best friend, and who's still my model to this day, Odelia McDonald in Sydney, Nova Scotia. And um, I went to her, and at that time, I was normal up to 2,000 hertz, um, so my hearing was getting worse. Uh, I left four weeks later to go to France and live in France for the year. Um, I spent a year abroad studying French, living with a French family. And I had two, I was fit with two Phonak Pico 4 hearing aids at the time, BTEs. And I got the hearing aids and I was just different coping skills. I had had normal hearing and then all of a sudden in Europe, people were trying to sign language to me. Uh, people were treating me differently when I came home. So I was adjusting to being a hearing impaired person. And I really, really struggled with it. And when I went to start university, I started studying psychology and how people, different things about psychology and mindset. And I still to this day believe that psychology plays a big role in audiology. I don't think we use psychology enough in audiology as a profession. A lot of what happens, I think when people get hearing aids or hearing testing, there's a huge site where they're human beings and they're just loaded guns coming in with all these limiting beliefs and mindsets before we even see them. And then after they receive treatment. So that became my story because I struggled. I didn't want anybody to see my hearing aids. I did not want to use an FM system. Uh, my audiologist held my hand. I finally when did my master's in audiology, but even my professors, they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know how to use an FM system. People tried signing to me and I hated it. So as I got into audiology practice myself, but Nashley, Nashley, before you, but before you go there, because anybody listening or watching this, what, I mean, do you know, I mean, what's the cause, right? We, we typically think of where we're born with hearing loss or we lose it very early or we get it later in life. You know, that this, teenage through 20s is very rare, typically genetic. So can you yes. tell us a little bit more, if you don't mind, about yeah, no, family perfect. history, what's what's going on? So we, my mother's brother, of course, he, he was 20 years older and had been fit with hearing aids since 20. But back in that day, they thought it was because he had measles or mumps. I mean, it's just a very different time. Audiology was different. I'm the oldest of four girls. So we now know, well, obviously, it's a post-lingual progressive sensorineural hearing loss. 
I'm the oldest of four girls. My youngest sister, who's a lawyer in Toronto, she had the exact same progression as me, and she also wears two cochlear implants. So both of us right now have two cochlear implants and had the exact same story. She's seven years younger than me, and her progression was identical. She was tested when I was seven years old, and at that point, she was just showing a dip at 8,000 hertz. So I always... Even working with my team, I say there's people who are born with hearing loss who I don't identify with. I didn't go through school with hearing aids. So the pediatrics part, I, I understand what they're going through, but I wasn't a child with hearing loss. And then there's the people who are later on in life, they develop some hearing loss, but then there's this group of people in between who have normal hearing. And then once it's progressive and it's getting worse every single year, like eventually, by the time I was 37 years old, I hadn't talked on the telephone in 10 years. Wow. I hadn't wow. heard for 10 years on the telephone. My hearing aids didn't work. Like I couldn't hear if I didn't see lips fully. And that became my story in terms of a lot of adults who I see, seniors, people with aging, and they get hearing aids. I think their struggles is that they're going from being someone who was normal functioning. And now you've had all that robbed of you. And the world does not know how to deal with that. The world doesn't know how to deal with people with hearing loss. People with hearing loss don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And yeah. clinicians don't spend a lot of time teaching people on how to live with the hearing loss. So was there ever, uh, just my curiosity is getting the best of me, was there ever uh, a genetic diagnosis? Is there a, a syndrome that, that's been associated with this? Or um, All I know is that uh, when I when my sister was getting her cochlear implant in Toronto, they had said they were doing a study because we both did so well with the implants. Mm -hmm. But there is a chapter in the Hereditary Hearing Loss book that shows my audiogram, shows my wow. sister, shows my uncles. And it's a whole chapter. It's called Hereditary Hearing Loss. There's a whole chapter dedicated to post-lingual progressive sensorial hearing loss. Now, when I went back to Nova Scotia and did my first clinical placement, I had a few cases of it myself that I saw during my clinical placement. And since in Sarnia, I've had two or three in my 18 years of practice that had the exact same progression as me. And they okay. have had implants and they had the exact same success. So we tend to, they usually say it's a recessive gene. Um, there's no other conditions associated with it that we know of. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's just, I, again, I think we know a lot about the genetics and age related. We know a lot about the genetics of those prelingual, but I think that there are these cases and, and obviously it's not ushers, but you know, cause that's the one I think most people think of when they think later postlingual progressive degenerative loss, but uh, very interesting. And Hey, you made a textbook. So <laughs> there you go. It, was, it was amazing seeing my audiogram. I was like, that's my aunt. And it was showing the progression. And it's just identical. My uncle's was when I finally got my uncle's test results. His was identical. My sister's was identical. We actually. I, I just thought, hope, look, I just hope they didn't put one of those pictures where it's like a picture of you. Remember, they used to do the picture of the kid's face and they had the black bars across the eyes. Syndrome bugs. They know. Yeah. No, I know. It's disturbing. That's why nobody <laughs> likes looking at those textbooks because they, it's very, you know, it's when you're learning that stuff, it's quite sad because it's hard going through a progressive disease. I mean, it's, that's what it is. It's changing your whole life as you go through it. Um, and yeah, it just, but that, but that now, so now naturally that, that, that really helps. I think I know for me and I know everybody listening, that's going to help us understand the foundation of what you do at blue water hearing at what got you to become a clinical audiologist, eventually go on to receive a doctor of audiology degree. And I love your focus, right? Because here's the deal. There's a lot of people in hearing healthcare who sell a widget and I'll see you whenever. If you have a problem, yes. maybe I'll test your hearing every so often. And then there are some that are good, 
maybe even great in terms of making sure the patient really understands the initial adaptive process. And then again, I think we still quit our patients and say, okay, now that you're hearing good, it's been two months, I'll see you in a year, yes. right? You've got a completely different mindset. Now I understand it comes from personal experience. You talk about it in terms of the responsibility of the hearing healthcare provider in post-treatment care. Post-treatment care, continuity of care, however you want to define it, you've got a whole different mindset. I want you to tell me why. And and I guess I know why, but tell me how you do this and what's different about you and your practice. I, I think it's asking the questions. It's caring enough to think not as a clinician that you're not a failure if your client's not wearing their hearing aids. We're dealing with human beings who have limiting beliefs, mindsets. Maybe they grew up and they've seen their father or their grandfather fail horribly with hearing aids, or they've seen big, gigantic widgets on their ears and they saw them go in the drawer, or maybe they saw a deaf kid. Like, I did not want to be associated as being deaf. I didn't like people signing to me. And I have, I didn't even like people seeing hearing aids for 20 years. And now I wear cochlear implants. And I'm not ashamed to say that. And I think as clinicians, um, even when I was an audiology student and my classmates would be like, well, why don't you want to get a cochlear implant? Why do you have little hearing aids? Why can't you? wear big hearing aids. And I thought, who are you to tell me what I should wear on my body? And I think that's the difference in my practice is that when people come, we are respecting their beliefs. We are respecting what they're bringing to the table as human beings, how they feel, their fears, their denial, their their anxiety about what's going to happen. Like, what? well, I dropped my cochlear implant in the bathtub this week. So I have to take them out when I get in the bathtub. And it fell right in the bathtub. And I'm staring at it going, what now do I do? So I got it out and put it in the dryer. But I'm an audiologist. Well, that's the stuff that happens when you have... I had my hearing aids chewed by my friend's dog. She was an audiologist. We were drinking wine. I had just gotten a new ear mold. My ear was so sore. I was a Western student then. And her dog ran off and chewed my hearing aid up when she was an audiologist. And so were both their parents. But that's the stuff people with hearing loss are dealing with at home. Every and day. Every day. And I think as clinicians, we feel like a failure when they come back in, but we never prepare them for, you're going to put this on your body and now it's not going to be perfect. And here are some strategies and things that you're going to do to help you when you go out. So uh, we just asked the difficult questions. I used to say it was like open Pandora's box because my staff and my team would look at me and I'm like, did you ask them how they're doing socially? Did you? And they're looking at me like, I don't want it. Because asking those questions after you fit them and they're walking back in and they're struggling and digging deeper as a clinician is like, do you really want to do that? Because it's going to create a lot more work for yourself. Have that difficult and, and conversation. And look, there, there, are two, there are two things, right? So we, we don't ask those questions, or I should say, what do we ask when a patient comes in for, for a, a, you know, one of their follow-ups? Hey, how's everything going? How are your hearing aids working? Like, no, right? We've got to dive so much deeper. Hey, I know in the States that being an audiologist has been ranked as one of the least stressful jobs. That doesn't even make sense. Right. I'm sure it doesn't make sense to you either. Like, no, we should be really stressed out because hearing loss puts a tremendous amount of stress on our patients. And we've got to not focus on just the widget. We really have to focus on their whole life. And look, I'm going to be honest. I've been in this healthcare field for over 20 years until meeting you and being in your presence. I've never heard anybody talk about the importance of hearing and intimacy. And the role that that plays, because you're willing to have 
that conversation. Every other AUD I know is like, oh my God, I'm never going to ask about intimacy and hearing sounds and relationships with family. I I don't want to go there. I think it's because they're not prepared on how to deal with it. So tell me more. I mean, how do you take, what's your view on this? How do you train your staff? Well, I think, and it's it's interesting, the last couple of years has made it a lot easier. And I'm going to say it was taking them to Tony Robbins and doing something that's actually life coaching, because a lot of life coaching and being exposed to it, that is, it's communication, it's interpersonal relationships, and it's life. Um, So when they can learn to just talk with people and realize they're humans and not own it back on themselves right? It becomes easier to talk about what's happening with the patient, not to be scared. I've had patients who in my office would say to me, you know, I'm having difficulty in the bedroom with my spouse because when I take my hearing aids out, I can't hear them whisper and it ruins the intimacy. Because when you're in an intimate relationship and you can't hear whispers, you can't hear soft-spoken speech, it really ruins the intimacy or the jokes, like when you can't hear jokes between partners. So I think in my office, the girls are more comfortable talking about it because they hear me talk about it. We've had patients who were suicidal with tinnitus come in because ringing of their ears and then they bring them in the room. I'm not scared to talk about that stuff because I always refer them back to their primary caregiver, their medical doctor, and obviously we initiate referrals. So I don't take any of that on. But I also, within the realm of audiology, have no issues talking about how does it feel with your hearing? What are your worries about your ringing? What do you plan to do about the ringing of your ears? What's our next? What's our next step? What's our next plan? And when you ask the patient, what's your next step? What's your next plan? How can I help you? Can we dig a bit deeper into that area that you're struggling in? Like. I was trying to use my tips with a, a man last week on a restaurant, and he's like, oh, I can't because every time I go to the restaurant, I go with a bunch of strangers, and actually we can't sit in a booth, I can't face them, like it's so difficult, the tips don't work. And I'm like, well, what about who do you go with? He's like, well, I'm usually going with my wife. I'm like, well, let her know that the restaurant is allowed. He said, what do you mean? I said, she has normal hearing. She does not know you're struggling. So the minute you walk in that restaurant, you say, it's really loud for me, let her know. And she will actually help you. And I, I just had the hearing blooper at the airport coming back from Utah. My sister and I went into the airport restaurant. She had no idea that whole time, and she's an HIS, she had no idea that I couldn't hear anything. I didn't know if they said chicken or lamb in the airport. I couldn't hear it. And she walked out. She said, Ashley, we just made the biggest mistake. You didn't, I didn't realize you weren't hearing and you didn't tell me. But if I had told her I was struggling, it would have changed the whole meal. Yeah. So it's those conversations, just asking questions and being a person. It's just caring. I think it's caring. But but let's I, I, I agree with all of that. But I want to talk about because, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are actually practice owners. And the biggest thing we deal with is like, obviously, all of this is coming so naturally to you that it's easy to say, just do this, just do that. I want to talk more about the training process. What systems do you have in place to make sure that the post-treatment care you provide is something that your entire team provides, right? Because it, it wouldn't be fair if I came in and I got to see Nashley, but then my spouse came in and got to see somebody else at your practice who doesn't do it the way you do, right? So you've had to build systems for this, I imagine. We we, we do a lot of team training events. So okay. we travel together. We do meetings every week. I, I, I'm always talking about it around the practice. I think everybody knows my core values. They know how I feel that 
I, uh, when I actually originally did my practice core values, the number one was we help people here. Like that was my, that's it. Like that states we are here to help people here. And it sounds so simple, but we forget that when we get in the work in the morning, you're going through the day and you just forget. So I think my office, I'm always, we're just at our meetings, at our staff training. And I also think that we, we talk about case examples. So my staff every week will come to me and they'll say, Mrs. Selwyn so said, and, and then, and then we actually have a conversation about what they can say to them next time. So that happens a lot in my practice, pretty much happens every day is we discuss cases. And I think that the only way a person who doesn't have a hearing loss can learn is by talking about a case and what would you do next time? Cause that's how we learn in our practice is talking about the case. Okay by case and how you because i think in audiology too in medicine and all the other different practices dentistry they do case they talk about cases every week so we talk about cases as a group in my practice and i usually kind of run it through do you have any tools you use surveys or is it really just no that's 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 my that's my that's my next thing that i'm working on writing my book with odd experts for um this winter is on so that my book is going to be on mindset and hearing loss and living with the hearing loss so it's all about mindset limiting beliefs and 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 i'm actually taking a lot from life coaching so i'm really leaving audiology going into psychology and talking about the psychology of hearing loss, how people adjust, and then how human beings are different. So that actually was what that is my my life purpose for the next 20 years for the profession is to create tools for clinicians that are not with me or with my team to write a book about it and to do some tips and sheets and actually to do it through social media. So that's actually what I'm working on right now. Actually, that was that's my whole that's my whole to do. Okay. Well, that's quite a to do. <laughs> um, what's I, I'm just curious. So you said that your sister works with you. Tell me a bit more about your practice. I mean, how many locations? I mean, what? Look again. You 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 do an awfully good job at making things sound very simple. <laughs> but really, to go from I don't hear well to now I'm an audiologist to now I'm I own this massive practice. Now I'm writing a book like you got to give us more. What's what's the you know, what's the secret sauce that I feel like people are missing? Honestly, the secret sauce is and I I actually I I say this a lot. My my sister and my staff knows it is that I I spent 20 years of my life going deaf. I went through university with 40 percent word discrimination. And by the end of Western, I was at 20 percent word discrimination. I, I spent 10, I opened up my private practice six months after I graduated and spent those 10 years where in hearing aids where I didn't, I couldn't do this right now. So once I got my hearing back, I find it a lot easier to tackle things because for 20 years of my life, I couldn't hear, I relied on reading for everything. So I'm a phenomenal reader, obviously, and I, I having my hearing back, but in my practice, um, we have a mess, a lot, a lot of mess going on all the time, but we're always making, I'm always going through change. So like when I joined Odd Experts, it was, I want to make my office better. We want better systems. We want more communication. With the three locations, I have my office manager, my sister, Michelle. She moved to Sarnia and did the two year. She had fin- finished a bachelor, rec- rec- bachelor of religious education degree. And she then moved back to Sarnia and did the eight, two year HIS program and helped me open up Blue Water Heron. And she was one who answered the phone, called the counts for me because I couldn't talk on the phone at that time. Right. And we built it together. We had, in the beginning, we opened up the main location. And then the other two locations had sound booths installed, but we traveled with our audio scan 
man or wheelie measure machine oh, or audiometer tint machine from location to location for the first five years on lunch yeah. break. So we would do one location in the morning. Everything was in a suitcase. And I remember having a cell phone and we did it patient by patient by patient. And I would do all these community talks to churches. Um, and that's how we built it. And then I built my team. So now we have the four providers. Um, and I have a Western student with me right now. So and graduating from audiology for support staff and we're in the process of hiring another audiology assistant. So I definitely have a lot of help. So I think, and I, I think really the, the, what I heard you say without saying it, and I think other people are going to get it too, is I suffered for many years losing my hearing. Running a business is easy. It is like compared to what hearing loss actually does. And I I want everybody who's listening, especially those people. I'm one of them that has normal hearing, but works with the hearing impaired. I want you to realize the power, not only of how destructive hearing loss can be, but also, right? So, so let's glasses half full, how important it is to treat hearing loss. Because what I also heard you say is I got my life back. And because of that, all these other things like that most people don't do, like run a business, like, you know, manage all these people, open three locations, like that's easy. And it's, I can do it because I can hear, I can do it because I am a contributing part of the hearing society around me. Yes, it is. That's exactly what it is. Because hearing loss is exhausting. I remember having to take a nap at three o'clock every day. I remember after school and and university and my first 10 years running my practice, I remember being a mom and going to my children's um, mother's and father's day tea at their school and not being able to hear any of the kids or hear the parents. And I still have my business or avoiding going to conferences because it was so exhausting to sit and listen to these people and try to take in information on audiology with no closed captioning back then. So now it's so easy to me. Like it's just easy because I can hear. And when you have your sense robbed, it is and that's why the dementia stuff really resonates with me. Once I started doing cognitive screening in my practice a year ago, we got the Cognitive View Thrive, and we started doing that. I felt like that was like the secret sauce that was missing from my practice because I believe that people, all these people I've seen over the years who they just didn't appreciate the sense they had until it was going and then they wouldn't wear their hearing aids. And it's like, no, like you're doing damage to your processing, like your memory. But we've known that for years. I mean, with cochlear implants, we always told people you have to wear your implants to stimulate the brain so that when you get implanted, it works well. And that is how the cochlear implant philosophy, unless I'm wrong. Um, And and then we've known that for years, but the fact that now we actually have like research so that all our patients can be to understand that you want to protect the sense of hearing more than anything because once it's gone and those hair cells die it's 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 a struggle and it's exhausting it's tiresome and nobody understands and and i think that that's a great point a a phenomenal point and we're, we're 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 near the end here which is i don't even think enough hearing healthcare providers really appreciate the fact that, look, the genetics are what they are. If you've been exposed to noise, like you can't stop. We're not curing hearing loss, but you sure as hell are slowing down the process. Because if there are nerves that are just barely hanging on, use it or lose it, right? Like you've got to stimulate what you have left. We've learned that with the cochlear implant community, that if you wait too long, 
there's not going to be anything left to stimulate. What we need to apply that to what we know about your your vanilla age-related hearing loss, because the longer they wait, the harder it is to treat, the poorer their prognosis. So early advocacy is so important. And I love all the work that you and your team are doing. And I'm just, look, I'm honored. You said it a few times. I don't typically plug it here, but I'm honored that that you are a member of Odd Experts, that you would talk about the change in the systems that we've been able to implement in your practice. And I'm just, you know, the fact that I get to call you a friend and a colleague is is just one of the greatest things. So thank you so much for your time today, Nashley. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Keith. I really appreciate it. It's it's been a wonderful opportunity. I was honored to come on the podcast and really excited. So, so everybody gets one of these questions at the end, right? So you got to tell us something personal. It could be a favorite movie, a favorite drink, just something that isn't going to come up at, you know, an audiology conference. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm very passionate about skiing. I am a um, very passionate skier. Um, I'm leaving in two weeks to go skiing for, I'm I'm leaving at Christmas to go skiing for two weeks um, in British Columbia and kicking horse in British Columbia. Awesome. So I have spent four to five weeks every winter skiing. I highly ski. I ski. I usually spend the whole year just dreaming about skiing starting. And skiing starts for me in a couple of weeks. Then I get to fly back and forth from Ontario to VC all winter long. And that is my um, my side my side passion. The thing I love. That to do. is that is amazing. <laughs> and I I'm going to say right here on this show at some point. I have to ski with you. I love oh, skiing too. I thought I liked skiing. You just completely trumped it. Uh, so, you know, I'll probably be far behind you, but if we could ever, Whistler is one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm sure you, there are other places that, that you know of that I don't, but I'd love to come up to Canada and ski with you one time. And actually, you know what? When we're skiing, I'll tell you how when I when I used to ski, I couldn't hear the snow. I couldn't hear my skis cutting wow. the edges. Once wow. I got my coker implants, I was like, oh, there's lots of sounds to ski. And I had no idea. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> it was awesome. Crazy. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Nashley. This is this has been great. You are an inspiration to so many. Thanks for all you do. Thank you so much. You have a great day.